leading us into the presence of the Lord to be able to uh, worship God, and that is, that is really a blessing. We have come to celebrate God and His goodness. Amen? And uh, that, that really uh, is a great thing. I have a couple, so- I have a couple signs here, and uh, you tell me what these mean, okay? First one, what is that? Stop. That means that we start easy, okay, because you get the hang of this. Uh, the next one, railroad crossing. Uh, that is an important one to know, right? We need to know what these... What, next one? No U-turn. Very good. Next one? You drive on this road, uh, there's far, falling cows. So next one? Keep right or keep left. Uh, the person that works for the sign company no longer has his job, whoever... May, now, what does this one mean? Either watch out for fighting deer or deer dance party. I'm not sure. All right, one of the two. And uh, this is my favorite one. State prison, next exit. Do not pitch up, pick up hitchhikers. So it's important to know what uh, these signs mean. And uh, signs do something, right? They convey a message. They give us information that is important. Uh, It gives us direction or warning. But the signs in themselves are not the, are not the, uh, is not the end. You know, they, they're for a reason. They point towards something. Signs point towards something that is real. And miracles in many ways are signs. In fact, throughout the Bible, sometimes miracles are called signs. For example, just in the passage that we looked at last week, Acts 2.43, And awe came upon every soul, and many many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And the signs there are the miraculous works that the apostles were doing. And so, so miracles, both biblical and those that happen in, in today's time, are signs because they point towards something beyond the act itself. As amazing as the act is, supernatural and wonderful and phenomenal, it points to something greater than that, something that is real and important. And so, as a sign, miracles give us direction, they give us warning, they speak to us a meaning that we ought to grasp. And so, the smart, and so I lay all of that out for us just to help us to begin to think about this miracle that is before us today. We're going to read a fantastic uh, miracle in Acts chapter 3. In fact, I encourage you to turn to Acts chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 1 through 10. Acts 3, 1 through 10. And it's a, it's a fantastic story about a man who is... We're going to learn, we're going to re- figure out later. Uh, he's over 40 years old. He has never walked. And yet on this day, he not only walks, but he leaps through the temple. Acts chapter 3, the words will be on the screen as well. Acts 3, we'll be reading verses 1 through 10. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. Okay, I'm not going to do this for every verse, but let me just, a couple things I want to highlight because we won't have time to get to them later in the sermon. But uh, first of all, Peter and John were going together, right? And they're going into the temple to pray. As, as followers of Jesus, they didn't, 
technically have to go to the temple to pray. But evidently, they found it to be helpful. And so it seems that this was a regular part of their spiritual life, a a daily rhythm. And I just wanted to pause and point that out because I wonder if it is something that we can think about. Is there a place for us in our own lives just to have that daily rhythm of an hour uh, uh, to pray at a certain time. The ninth hour is 3 o'clock in the afternoon. That, it, it doesn't matter what time it is, but here is their regular pattern. And Peter and John are going together. In fact, Peter and John are all, all oftentimes kind of linked together throughout the, uh, throughout the, the uh, book of Acts. And starting with Jesus, when Jesus sent his disciples out, he oftentimes sent them out in pairs. Pairs are a good way of doing ministry. That's one of the strengths of a co-pastorate. But I just encourage us to think about we need life partners. We need partners in ministry, people that strengthen us, that we can work with, that encourage us. So anyway, I just wanted to make those comments. This is, these are side comments, but I thought those were, things were helpful. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was, be, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask for alms. In other words, to ask for a handout of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. And, he, and leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And he recognized, and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Let's just go before the Lord and ask for his help uh, as we look at this passage together. Father God, now as we consider this together in this sermon, we pray that you would be our teacher and that you would come and help us and speak to us. And may uh, you be glorified in this. We just ask for your help. In Jesus' name, amen. As I said, miracles point. So this, this sermon is structured around three directions that miracles point. First of all, miracles point upward. Miracles are obviously things that we cannot do on our, in our own strength, right? We cannot do them in our own power. That's obvious. They point upward in the fact that only God could do these things. And, uh, and Peter acknowledges this when he says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He is recognizing that he is doing it in the power of Jesus. It is not something that he could do on his own. He says, rise up and walk, not by my own power, not in your own strength, but in the power and the authority of Jesus. And by summoning Jesus' name, Peter presents himself as a mediator. 
one who wields Jesus' authority and power for the sake of accomplishing Jesus' purposes. It is similar to the power that an ambassador has. A U.S. ambassador, for example, would get nowhere in foreign countries if, they, if he, he or she just came in their own name, but they come in the name of the president. I come in the name of the president of the United States. And so now he has authority and he has power. And Peter says, I come in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And so he acts with Jesus' power and authority. And then it says that Peter reaches out his right hand and he raises this man up. And I've wondered, why the, why the reaching out? Was it to, because this man just wouldn't get that he, spoke, that he, has, he now has the ability to stand up and I've been reading a book, okay, this is, so this is all fresh in my mind. In fact, I got a picture of it. The book is called The Healing Light. I include a picture because I would imagine there may be some of you that this would be a helpful book to pick up and to read, but it's written by a, by a woman by the name of Agnes Sanford. And uh, she recounts in it the idea of healing light, that healing is like electricity, like, like electricity, she says. For God's healing to work, it, there, are, there are three requirements. First of all, uh, it's like a light bulb. First of all, the light bulb has to be good, right? If your light bulb's uh, burnt out, don't plan on it lighting up. And then secondly, the wiring's got to be good. It's gotta, uh, if the wiring's disconnected or if it's, if it's, not, uh, if it's not working right, then the light isn't going to light up either. And then thirdly, the power source has got to be on. If the power company is down and there's no power thro- flowing through the power grid, no light's going to come on. And using her analogy here, the person being healed is the light bulb. And we see later in this passage that the man who, had, uh, who was lame had faith. And so the light bulb is good. And then Peter is the wiring. He's the one through which the healing comes. And then ultimately the power source is God. And Agnes describes in her book of how often she has laid her hands on someone and felt the power of God flowing through her. And that's oftentimes why when someone is sick or in need of prayer, we lay our hands upon them and we pray, God, may your power flow through me into this person's life. And that's what I think is happening here. Peter reaches out his hand and the power of God, he's the mediator, the power of God flows through him into this person's body and it says his legs and his ankles are instantaneously made strong and he's able to stand up. In Acts 4, 22 it says that this man is over 40 years old and he has never walked. I can imagine that as he is raised up here, the first step is a little bit awkward. Maybe kind of wobbling. Uh, you know what? As I, as I preach this, uh, Abraham uh, is here and his, we've been praying for their daughter, Olivia, who's a little girl and got very, very sick and was in the hospital for... Uh, Abraham, how long was Olivia in the hospital for? 
three months. Uh, how old is she? Four years old. So Olivia knew how to walk at one point. And then being in the hospital for three months, had to learn how to rewalk. And some of you have had to learn how to rewalk if you're in a car accident or something. This man has never walked. And, uh, and, now he's, and now we see him not only walking, but we see him leaping and jumping around and shouting God's praises in the temple. It is a miraculous healing, and all the people are ama- uh, so amazed. But the first thing that Peter says is, it's not me. Look at verse 12. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this, or why do you stare at us? as though our power or piety have made him walk. In other words, it's all God all the time. You see, Peter's life was directed upward. It pointed towards God. Miracles point towards God, and our lives ought to be pointed towards God as well. There's a story about Thomas Aquinas. Thomas Aquinas lived in the 13th century. A great theologian. Some of you may have even read him in your philosophy classes in college or whatever. But um, here, the story is told of Thomas is in the, ch- in the church in Rome, and as he is walking along the streets, he's traveling with one of the church leaders. And one of the church leaders sees a person along the side of the road begging for money, and so he reaches in his pocket and he pulls out a coin and, hand his, and hands it to him. And, uh, and then he turns to Thomas and he said, well, Thomas, fortunately, we can no longer say, as Peter did, silver and gold, I have none. And Thomas turns to him and he says, yes, but unfortunately, we can no longer say, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And, I've wonder, and I wonder if we have lost some of our, our, our ability to say the same thing. You see, if we, you cannot give what you do not have. And we have become very wealthy in silver and gold. And we have all kinds of stuff around us, technology and these things. But is our dependence pointed upward? Are we truly dependent upon the Lord? Or do we uh, send, or for healing and for even our own soul satisfaction, do we look to all kinds of other things? We cannot give what we do not have. There was an article recently in the in in a newspaper that uh, that did a survey and said that on average the the average American person spends five hours a day watching TV. Now I don't know how that's possible. Five hours <laughs> that seems a lot like a lot. Uh, and money is not a bad thing, and entertainment is not a bad thing. But are we looking to all of these things to provide what they cannot give? You see, if we fill our souls up with TV and with surfing the web and pursuing all of these other things, we're left empty. We're left, as Thomas said, we do not have the ability to say uh, in in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And so my challenge for us today is, are our lives pointed upward? so that we are looking towards Him, so that our dependence upon, is upon Him and that our, that our whole lives are aimed towards Him. We cannot give what we do not have. And so what are you filling your life up with? Is it silver and gold? Is it entertainment? Is it something else? Or are we filling our lives up with Jesus? 
And the more we fill our lives up with Jesus, the more we are able to be that, the conduit, the wiring for Jesus' for Jesus's power to flow through us into the lives of others. And so evaluate our own. So let's spend time today evaluating our lives and making sure our priorities are straight. Miracles point uh, to the fact that our lives ought to be pointed upwards. And secondly, miracles also say that our lives should be pointed forwards. And what I mean by that is miracles are acts that show us what things will be like when Jesus comes back again. You see, Jesus is coming back one day to set the world right. And when he comes back, there will be no more suffering. There will be no more pain. There will be no more death. There will be no more injustice and all of these things. And miracles point forward to that day. Revelation chapter 20 describes the day in which Jesus comes back. And he describes it as a day in which he will establish the new heavens and the new earth. And you get this picture of Jesus coming back and he's bringing heaven with him. And heaven and our earth are joined together and all of the world is set to rights. And all of the things that have uh, been messed up because of sin are now made the way that they are supposed to be. And so miracles point forward to that day in which all of these things, disease will be taken care of and suffering will be done away with. Revelation 21.4 describes that day in this way. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. There's a hint at that uh, in this passage in Acts chapter 3 as well. In fact, any Jew who knew his or her Bible well would have quickly recognized that the language of verses 8 and 9 refers back to an Old Testament prophecy found in Isaiah 35, 5, and 6. So let me read, the, these passage, let me read this passage. Jews, would have, Jews knew this to be one of the most important prophecies anticipating the coming of the Messiah. And so we read this and we see, okay, yep, it started. It started in Jesus' first coming and it will be completed and, and it'll reach its culmination when he comes back again. Isaiah 35, 5 and 6, Then will the eyes of the blind be open, and the ears of the deaf, the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer. There's that word that the author uses here two times. The man is leaping. Will, then will the lame leap like a deer. And the mute tongue shout for joy. And that's what we see this man doing here. Shouting for joy in the temple. See, we've gotten used to things the way they are. We anticipate a lot of suffering. And we think, we say death is 100%. There's suffering in the world. There's hunger. There's mourning. There's disasters. But let me just remind us, in case we have gotten too used to this and forgotten about it, that this is not the way things are supposed to be. See, the only reason that these things have entered into the world is because of sin. And we look forward to a day in which what we see as nature being turned on its head when God comes and does a miracle, this will be the norm. One author said it this way, the biblical miracles are the only natural things 
in a world that is unnatural, demonized, and wounded. You see, the miracles point forward to a day in which God will make all things right. God hates suffering. In fact, in light of that, our lives ought to be pointed forward. Our lives ought to be aimed towards the things that Jesus will one day bring to completion. And so some of you are in the medical profession. And so you are in the healing business. That's God's business. God's will is for one day everyone to be healed. And some of you are teachers, and you're in the teaching business. And God's will is for one day everyone to be living out his or her full potential. And some of you work in the legal field, and you are fighting injustice. You're in the injustice business. And that's God's will for each person to be treated rightly and fairly and justly. And some of you work as a tradesperson. And you're in the business of fixing things. And that's what God will do when Jesus comes back a second time. All things will be recreated. And it will be better than the Garden of Eden. And so our lives ought to be pointed upward, dependent upon Him, and be pointed forward. That we would do all things, no matter if we teach or whatever our job is. We would do all things in Jesus' name so that he would be glorified. We're pointed upward and we're pointing forward. And then thirdly, miracles point inward. When Peter looked at this man at the beautiful gate, he sees a man that is lame and looking for a handout. But I think he sees past that. In fact, that is why I think uh, when he looks at this man, he says, look at us. Look at us directly in our eyes. I'll admit that sometimes when I give a handout, when I give money to a person on the side of the road, my natural tendency is to actually avoid eye contact. Because if you look them directly in the eyes, now you have a personal connection. And Peter looks him in the eye, and he sees beyond just the outward appearance, and he looks within the heart. They say that the eyes are the gateway to the soul, right? It is how we look inside of someone and see what is really there. And it, they say that, that uh, the eyes are a way of expressing love as well, right? That's why lovebirds sit there and they just gaze into one, another, one another's eyes for hours on end. Because we can communicate to, our, to the inner parts of who we are. And I think this, this is what Peter does. He looks at him and he says, you know what? I see your outward needs, your physical needs, but there is a greater need. There is something on the inside. Luke is the author of Acts, but he's also the author of the gospel that bears his name. And so really these are two books that form two volumes of one book. And it is interesting that when you look at the two books together, the gospel of Luke and the Acts of the Apostles, that they are not only similar in their stories, but they're similar in their structure. So I just put a couple things together here. And uh, just look at this with me a second. In the Gospel of Luke, you have the birth of Jesus. In Acts, we saw the birth of the church. In Luke, we see the baptism of Jesus. And remember, we looked at the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We had the testing of Jesus when he's in the wilderness. And then we looked at when the apostles and the 120 were waiting in the upper room as a period of testing, the testing of the church. 
And then there was the summary of Jesus' ministry in Luke chapter 4. And last week, Pastor Steve preached on this, a summary of the ministry of the early church, what what they were doing. And in Luke, the first miracle that is recorded there is the healing of the paralytic. And now today's passage, the healing of a lame man. And so between this and between this, there are many parallels In fact, if you go back to this story in Luke, it's a really interesting story. Here is Jesus in this crowded room, and it is packed shoulder to shoulder. Nobody could get in if they wanted to. And yet there's this man who's paralyzed, and he wants to get face to face with Jesus. He knows that if he can stand before Jesus, Jesus can heal him. And so his friends have brought him to a cot, and there's no way to get in the room. So what do they do? They have the wise idea of climbing up on the roof and start digging through the roof. And the, these roofs in, the, in this time were like two to three feet thick. And so this was no easy task. And they're digging, and part of me wonders, like, somebody from the room would have gone up and said, hey, guys, knock it off. But nobody stops them, and Jesus himself doesn't move. You can imagine the dust and the mud falling all around, but he stays right where they are, so their plan is successful, and he's lowered down right before Jesus. And now he is face-to-face with Jesus just as he wanted to be. And do you remember what the first words of Je- out of Jesus' mouth were? Does anybody remember? Anyone want to take a guess? It was not take up your mat and walk. The first words were actually, man, your sins are forgiven. And I can imagine this guy thinking, hey, that's really great, Jesus, but, you know, I'm here to walk. And my sin's forgiven. Yeah, that's, that's wonderful. But what I really want is healing. And Jesus is saying, I see your needs, but your greatest need is inward. And Peter, I think, looks at this man and he sees the same thing. Your greatest need is inward. In fact, every one of us, our greatest need is inward. Oftentimes we come to church and we have all of these things that are at the forefront of our mind. God, heal my uh, relationships. Heal my marriage. Heal my body of the disease that is inside of me. Heal my finances or give me direction in my job and give me peace of heart. And we have all of these needs. But just know for sure that the greatest need is always the need that is inward for our hearts to be made right with God for us to be reconciled to Him and for our sins to be forgiven. No matter what it is physically, if that gets taken care of, but the inside doesn't get taken care of, we're missing out on all of the blessings of God. But if the insides get taken care of, what is in our hearts, and we, and we now find ourselves face-to-face with Jesus and we realize all that He has given us, then we've been changed not only today but for all eternity. That is our greatest need. To be able to stand face to face with Jesus and hear these words, your sins are forgiven. To find ourselves to receive the spiritual healing. In verse 16 of Acts 3, Paul's going to go and he's, or I mean Peter's going to go and he's going to kind of talk about what has just happened. And he says this man experienced complete healing. In other words, healing from the inside out. 
And I think one of the signs that shows that he has received this healing is just the joy that fills his heart. The fact that now he is in the temple and he's leaping all over the place and shouting God's presence, shouting God's praise, and all of the people come and they look at him and they say, wow, that was the guy that I saw every day at the uh, temple gate, and now he's doing this, and he's filled with such joy. And it's not just because he can walk, but because he's been made right with God. I think that's clear. He could have gone home. He could have gone to his family that, and showed him what happened. His first place that he goes to is the temple. He longs to be in God's presence. Joy ought to be the defining characteristic of our lives if we realize the spiritual healing that God has provided for us. I was in church one time. Uh, this, was on a, this was a couple years ago on a Sunday that I, I was on vacation. and So we're sitting in the pew and there's this little girl that's sitting in front of us. And uh, she just keeps looking around the whole service, just turned around and smiling at me. And uh, didn't bother me. I thought it was cute. But eventually her mom uh, leans over to her and says, Hey, you need to knock it off. Sit forward and stop smiling at that man. Remember, this is church. And I thought, oh my word. If smiling seems inappropriate in church, we've got major problems. In fact, I would encourage you every once in a while, just turn around and smile at the person sitting behind you. Turn around, smile. We come to church every week for various reasons, but at the top of that list ought to be to celebrate who Jesus is and what he has done for us. Our hearts ought to be filled with joy. Dallas Willard used to say that God is the most happy being in the whole universe. And if we are to reflect God, then our hearts ought to be filled with happiness and joy. C.S. Lewis said that joy is the serious business of heaven. And we ought to get down to business. When we come together, we ought to be doing the Father's work, and that is fill this place with joy. And so I'm going to encourage us just as we begin to uh, prepare for the Lord's Supper to take a minute and to evaluate our lives and to say, are our lives pointed upward? Are we dependent upon Him? I'll admit in the world we live in, it is very easy to be dependent on all kinds of other things. But could we truly say that our lives are 100% pointed upward, dependent upon the Lord. And then are our lives pointing forward? Are we getting distracted with all of the other things when God has given us a calling, and it is a calling to look forward to His second coming, to do the work to prepare the way that we would be focused on prayer and doing His work in Jesus' name, no matter what that looks like, to do all things in Jesus' name. And then our lives pointed inward that we would recognize the work that Jesus has done in us and through us. You see, miracles are fantastic things. But God sometimes chooses to do a miracle and then sometimes God doesn't choose to do a miracle. 
This man has been brought to the temple gate every day for decades. And so surely Peter and John have passed him by before. And he was not saved on those days. In fact, Jesus has gone to the temple many times. I have a feeling, chances are, Jesus passed this man and he was not healed. The healing is up to the Lord. But the greater work are the things that the miracles point to. And so are are our lives pointed upward? Are they pointed forward? And are they pointed inward? That is a good place to transition into the Lord's Supper.